Welcome to Healing Minds, Stories of Resiliency and Recovery, a conversation held at the intersection of substance abuse, mental health, and everyday living. Your hosts, Mark Regala and Justin Wolf, bring both professional expertise and personal understanding to the table. So welcome to the conversation. Let's dive in. Hi, everybody, and welcome back. We are here with the fourth episode of Healing Minds, Stories of Resiliency and Recovery. And I'm joined here tonight by my co-host, Mark Regala. My name is Justin Wolf. And so, Mark, great to see you again. How are you nice doing this evening? Well. Nice seeing you as well, Justin. How are you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Appreciate you asking. I know we're here to really talk about a you know, pretty serious topic here when we talk about what, what it's like to lose somebody that you love, care about, and know fully. Um, to this battle of the disease of addiction and mental illness. And so what, what are some of the things that for you, Mark, kind of come up when we even just like start venturing down that road, man? I mean, honestly, when I start thinking about that, I start thinking about all the people that I knew that, that I have lost personally um, from a relative, a cousin of mine to a lot of friends that I knew through that world. Um, and just, you know, thinking about the conversations I had with them uh, during addiction and while they were trying to heal and so forth and, you know, what ultimately led to their untimely passing. Yeah. I mean, that, and I think you just kind of captured a, a key point there where it's like when we're talking about these people that we have lost to this disease and this battle, these aren't just statistics. These aren't just numbers. These are individuals who were fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, mentors, really, you know, making an impact on other people's lives. And world was greater and better for having had them in this world with us here. And that's something you can go into a room and say, you know, who's been impacted or lost somebody to this disease, to this battle. And you'll, the number of hands that just shoot up, whether you're in a, you know, a small room or an auditorium, it's just staggering to look at just how many people have personally been in that same position, unfortunately. And so, yeah. No, I mean, I just, you kind of hit a head right on the nose. I mean, when I talk to people, when I talk about my past and I talk about my story, it seems to me like everybody has a story. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that have dealt with losses in their circle, you know, in their families. It's not something that they talk about like openly, but it is something that they share with me once they hear a little bit about my story and that I'm living a life of recovery and I came out on the other side of my addictions. Right. I'm, and I mean, we're here tonight joined by an individual, Kurt Scheitler, who also has fought those battles and is here today to kind of share a little bit about his story and as well talk about an individual or individuals that really have impacted him that he's unfortunately lost to, to this battle. So Kurt, welcome in today to join us here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Always wouldn't think of anybody else except you. So you are the man for this conversation um, because I think you bring a lot of wisdom and knowledge and just personal experience into the room here as we kind of dive into this topic. And, and so the audience can kind of get to know who you are. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your own personal story? Um, you know, my story is probably, you know, it's, it's an average story. You know, I started using when I was younger, <clears throat> been in and out 
of going, you know, I've been a tr going to treatment, <clears throat> excuse me, I've gone to treatment five, six, seven times in my life, you know, and it wasn't only, it, it, it wasn't until recently, well, not recently, I mean, you know, today I have eight years, nine months and one day clean. Awesome. But before then, you know, it, it took a it took a long, long time of going back and forth with using, going to treatment, and making that real decision on, you know, if I wanted to do something with my life opposed to just being a drug addict. So, you know, I, I'm not young. You know what I mean? Like, I'm fifty. So. <laughs> But it, it was funny at the, the opening of the conversation where you guys were talking about people who've been affected by, you know, by, by drugs, you know, mm -hmm. or you ask somebody like, maybe they don't do drugs, but they're like, we have a family member. Like, I remember like back like 25, 30 years ago when I started using, like nobody talked about it. Right. It was never a topic. And it was like everybody's like family secret. Like mm -hmm. we discussed it or anything. And now in the last 10 years, it's like more people are like, oh, I've got a cousin or my neighbor where, you know, 20 years ago, like it, it was like, you know, no, right. you, know, you don't speak of it, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. it's insane. Like how just the disease of addiction and alcoholism has now come to the forefront you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago, like it just, it, it wasn't a topic to talk about or 25 years ago. Right. No, I mean, you're talking about, Hey, people are just getting much more open to discussing these very real events that, and these real tragedies that they go through and that they've experienced. I mean, you look at, you know, you want to talk about like the war on drugs and you look at these numbers of just overdose rates throughout these years. And that number continues to climb despite the awareness and it's just screaming, Hey, we have to do something different. We need to get vocal. We need to recover out loud in the way that things can occur and change can take place because we have lost way too many people to this disease. You know, I it's mean, like, if you look at the fact like, okay, COVID, you know, they, they mm -hmm. called COVID a pandemic. And like, yes, like it's terrible. Like, you know what I mean? It was something that hit, hit this nation hard, but I, now I do not know numbers, stats or figures, but I would mm -hmm. like, I assume that just as many people die a year from the disease of addiction as COVID did when it first hit. But it's like, because COVID is something that happened, like nobody wants to go, you know, addiction is a pandemic. They just want to go, mm -hmm. okay, people out there need help. And, you know, over the last couple of years, you know, the government has pulled funding for mental health and like, mm -hmm. and for, you know, addiction treatment, especially state funded, you right. know, so it, it always kind of blows me away where it was like, we have COVID and we have the disease of addiction. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, let's like COVID's a bigger deal. And it's like, that's, this is just my, opinion. Yeah. nobody else. <laughs> You know, it's like COVID gets you sick, yeah. like flu, but addiction will kill you or mm -hmm. isolate you to the point where, you know, yeah. you know, and it just, yeah. like, these are just my thoughts and feelings, not the, not the 
So it just blows me away. You yeah. know what I mean? Where it's like, this, this yeah. is a real thing, you know, like I, I often see people who, you know, want help, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like the state funded programs have waiting lists. And then if you don't have, yeah. insurance, you know, if you have insurance, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's tough. It's right. tough. No, I mean, you're bringing up like, hey, what other disease do we treat this way? And I know, Mark, you'd like to kind of weigh in on this because I think this just speaks well, to you, man. So. Well, I mean, I was reading a stat online just a couple of days ago, and maybe you can, you know, verify this because, I mean, it, I, it, but it said drug overdoses are now the leading cause of death in young in Americans between the ages of 18 and 45. Mm hmm <clears throat> And I believe that that yeah. actually was a statistic from last year, and I believe it's going to repeat itself this year in 2023 as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so you are seeing more and more families affected by this, and you are seeing more and more families talking about this, but there's also still a lot of families that are kind of living in shame, guilt, and hiding as well. You right. Know? There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, because I know it's a lot of what Kurt, what Kurt was alluding to earlier. We we're talking about, like, there's still a lot of stigma. There's still a lot of moralizing, judging, and just kind of like this perception that this person should just stop it. They can see the destruction they're doing if they just don't want it bad enough, right? It's like the old adage of, hey, they just got to hit bottom before change happens. And we're waiting, we're going to take a step back. And when that happens, and because I've seen this happen for a lot of people, it's like, hey, here were the, that individual's only supports, the only people that were in their corner that gave them a reason to kind of keep pushing. They're like, hey, at least I still got so-and-so in my corner. And the moment they go away, it's like, well, I've already given up on myself. And now this just gives me more, more of a justification to kind of throw it all in and go hard. And I think that's where I've seen that. We don't go like with heart disease, right? Like saying, hey, they don't want to just take their, their medication that badly. I'm just going to, I'm just going to pull back. Never in a million years. Same thing with diabetes. They're not taking their insulin right. I'm not going to, hmm. Like there's just a different approach as a culture and as a society that we take when we're talking about those who are impacted by this disease, which unfortunately the consequences of it. I mean, I mean, there's a couple of things I want to say in regards to that. One, I've always been a be the belief of if there's a pulse, there's hope. There's a possibility it. for a turnaround and recovery. That's one. And two, and I think this is really important. When I hear somebody doesn't want it bad enough or they're not trying hard enough, it really, especially for somebody that doesn't understand what that individual is going through, it really irks me because mm -hmm. I've always said this, nobody wants to recover and nobody wants to get better more than the addict themselves. Mm -hmm. They just don't know how to get out of the hell that they're in. That's basically what right. it comes down to. Exactly. Like, and I think you hit it around the head because like, I know when I've been there, it's just like, I just want this pain to stop. I'm just trying to find an escape route. And this seems to be my solution, but my solution is also the problem. And I just don't know where else to turn. Absolutely. And so, I mean, we just have to be in a fortunate position where we're still here today to be able to talk about this. And we're not one of the statistics, you know. Um, and so I think that's when we talk about just losing people to this disease. I mean, that's really something that when we think about it, when we talk about it, even like the expressing that there's like a guttural reaction I have personally, <laughs> because this really just rocks myself. And I can only speak on myself here. Like it just rocks me at my core. And I know 
Kurt, you were willing and, you know, brave here to kind of like step up and say, Hey, I'm willing to talk about what that experience was like for me. So do you mind sharing kind of getting into talking about who that individual was that really impacted you? Can I use his name? Go for it, sir. So, so I know I, you guys had talked to him, you know, on a prior podcast, Cormac, you know, and I, I work in the, the field of drug and alcohol treatment. No, I am not a counselor, <laughs> but I've worked in the field for the last eight years. You know, I've worked in housing. I'm, I'm a facilities manager now. So um, at one point in time, a few years ago, Cormac came through treatment here and we just happened to be, I, I happened to be picking people up from our other location when we still had it. You know, and he happened to see my T-shirt, and we we listened to the same kind of music. He was really into Fish and the Grateful Dead, and you know, it was funny. He saw my shirt one day. He's like, "Oh my God, you like him?" I was like, "Totally." You know what I mean? And I knew that because I worked there, I couldn't like, you know, I, there's boundaries I have to follow. So it turns out though that because of the program he was in, he was going to outside meetings, and he became friends with the same core group of people in recovery that I was friends with at meetings. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, like I was seeing him in meetings, you know, and then I was seeing him at concerts, you know, and we actually became close. Like we weren't like right. super, super close. Like I didn't know, like, you know, he told us about, I think he'd gone to treatment in Georgia where they gave them pets was that Georgia to the treatment, you know, and he told me a little bit about that. Like, you know, obviously mm -hmm. newer in recovery, we don't like lay out, like I had all this bad stuff happen to me, but right. Cormac was just someone like it. It's hard to explain because he was, mm -hmm. how old was he? 20, 21, 22. Two. He's young. Yes. Young. And considering like I'm in my forties and like me, like me, myself and the people that hung out with them were just like, there was just something special about him. You know what yeah. I mean? And people were drawn to him and he was, he was just like, really, he was funny. He always had like just funny jokes to tell. Like he was telling us one day when he was living at sober living, like, you know, it's kind of hard to talk to the ladies when I want to be like, hey, you want to come back to my place and hang out with me and my roommates? And, you know, and then I just, you know, I remember, you know, we were going to meetings and stuff and things seemed like they were going well. And then one of my friends reached out to me and I remember that day and he was like, he's like, Cormac died this morning. And I was like, no, man, like, no way, like, no way. I'm like, come on. He was like, no, for real. And I was like, listen, man, I, I got to call you back. Yeah. And dude, I, I lost it. Yeah. Like we have a clinical director here and outpatient. Like I immediately like went to her office. Yeah. And just, you know what I mean? Just, yeah. You really needed some support during that time because this was different. And the worst part is it was yeah. happening during COVID. Yeah. You know, so it was like, 
there were all these unanswered questions because of like he was found in a park you know what i mean like how effing heartbreaking is that you know what i mean no one yeah. knew what was going on and you know it's like i never wanted to like reach out to his mom because it's like how do you be like what happened you know what i right. mean like, it's not my place you know what i mean and she yeah. did end up reaching out to like me and my friend phil and you know we were invited to you know the wake where you know i yeah. met you for the first time right you know but it was like i between being in recovery and working in this field like i have dealt with like a lot of death and the ones that hit me the hardest are the ones that are like you know like close relatives like you know like immediate family mm -hmm. happens to mother brother so you know what i mean but like i had never in the my almost nine years in recovery have been so affected than I had by like Cormac, like yeah, never. Like I hear about people passing all the time and in, in the fellowship I go to, you know, there's the saying is, is like, <clears throat> there's, you know, only three ways that this can end jails, institutions and death. Yeah. And anytime I hear someone pass away, who's been coming around long enough, it's like, but they knew. You know what I mean? They knew, they knew the reading, like they came around long enough, like, you know, th this is what happens. And like with Cormac, like, there's not a day that doesn't go by. Like we go to concerts nowadays. It's like before the show starts, like, you know, me and my friends get together and we'd always be like, you know who would love this? Yeah. Cormac would love this. Cormac, right. would, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's like his memory carries on. And it's and every, every time still I'm in the there. car yeah. listening to fish, it's always like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it just jumps out there. It's like Cormac is there. You yeah. know what I mean? And it was like it, just so young. And it was one of the hardest, hardest people I've ever had to deal with, you know, passing in recovery. <laughs> no. no, and I think you kind of highlighted a lot of really what made that relationship with him really strong and that bond and that connection. And it was just, that loss was different. And you, and just looking at, Hey, there's so much, so much hope. There's so much charisma. There's so much uniqueness that this individual brought. Right. Like, and I think that's the thing when we kind of look at people that we've lost and just, we can get, we can really kind of get down there where we kind of, what would the future have been with them in it? Right. Like what, what hopes, goals, and dreams did I have for that person? Well, those went away too. And that's crushing simultaneously. And that's what you hear families talk about, right? Like my loved one, my, my kid, like my future, my dream, my hopes for who they would grow up and what they would become. Like we see these glimpses and then it's just taken away. That's disease. You know, and Mark, Mark, I like Mark, what do you, what are you thinking over there right now, man? Well, first of all, I've had the pleasure of speaking with this mom in a public forum uh, about a year and a half ago. And then obviously we interviewed his mom a couple weeks ago here on the podcast. He sounded like an, um, like I told her, he sounds like mm -hmm. an, um, sounded like an unbelievable human being, unbelievable young man, wise beyond his years. And I guess the biggest thing that I took from that was all the good work he was doing, all the help he was giving others. <laughs> and when he spoke, people listened because he spoke in a language that most people, unless you were in it, 
couldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And he was able to connect with people. And that's that's what I took out of it. And he sounded like an amazing human being. And I'm really sorry to hear about his loss, even though I never met him. Yeah. No, and I think that's that is the thing where it's like we see that greatness that these individuals bring with and that they carry inside. And I think that's one of the most challenging and time like most crushing ideas is that, hey, I see this that you have in you. And why can't you see what I see? Right? Because I think at the core and at the heart of all this, just hear about that pain. Like, this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't how I want to be showing up. This isn't the, the idea of what I dreamed I would be doing with my life at this time. And I know, Mark, in your story, you've kind of talked about that. Yeah, I mean, with me, I mean, I have a personal story, too. Uh, You know, my cousin, you know, had passed away from alcoholism in May of 2021. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's coming up on three years here pretty soon. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is even though we talked about how family members, families are, are talking about this. I mean, here I am. I'm her own cousin. My dad is her dad's brother. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think that my family knew all the struggles I went through. I was in recovery. Okay. I would still consider myself early stages of recovery. But at the same time, I had a, 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 a about a year, year and a half of sobriety. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I didn't know that she was battling on the alcohol side. And I don't think she knew that I battled on the alcohol and drug side, you know, the opiate side. And it was brought to my attention, you know, that she wasn't doing too good. And one time I had spoken to her um, at her home, okay, on on a bench outside of her home. Mm -hmm. And then I got wind a couple weeks before she passed away that she was hospitalized. And uh, I went there to the hospital, had probably about a two and a half hour, three hour conversation with her. And I just laid it all on a table about everything I've been through, how many treatments I've been through. You can do this. You can do that. I'll yeah. walk with you. I'll do whatever you need me to do. And I think she was shocked to hear that. Okay. Again, in the family, but nobody wants to talk about it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think that conversation happened a little too little too late. I think her liver had sustained too much damage at that point. And she had passed away uh, two weeks to the day. Actually, uh, it was just under two weeks. She passed away on a Saturday, two weeks after I had spoken to her of, of liver failure. And I was called to the hospital when she wasn't doing that good that morning. I was the second to last person to see her alive. Um, you know, went to the services, you know, and, you know, there were some conversations that we had. And I want to be respectful of the conversation that we had that Sunday morning. But, you know, there was a feeling of loneliness, you know, yeah. isolation. She felt she was by herself. Um, I think because people didn't quite understand what she was going through. And then you go to the services, you know, a couple of days, you know, three, four days after she passes away. And I mean, the, the funeral home is packed, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a long line to go past, you know, her, you know, the coffin. And it's like, you know, sometimes I wonder, you know, where were these people at? You know, what, yeah. what, what could we have done differently, you know, to prop her up and give her the support and the love that she needed to kind of get through this battle? And then I started thinking about myself. I mean, I was doing a little work with NAMI at this point. Um, Not a lot, okay? By any means, not a lot. And uh, I really wasn't living a life of transparency. I mean, I really didn't, you know, share my stuff on Facebook and, you know, stuff like that, memes about recovery and things like that. 
And, uh, you know, she passed away. And I'm like, you know what? I, I just have to be transparent. People got to know my story. And if I could be a resource to them, if I can help them in any way, shape, or form, I need to do it. So I started to, uh, I started to, you know, share some memes on Facebook. People started reading between the lines. And it just opened up my eyes because people started sending me messages on Messenger. Then I started a recovery page, you know, on Facebook. Yeah. Started to get some likes on that, you know. People from high school reaching out, you know, uh, former colleagues reaching out. And it really just opened up my whole spectrum as far as how big this disease actually is. And I got really active with NAMI. You know, I helped, I helped support, uh, helped, helped facilitate a couple of the support groups here. I do a lot of hospital speaking. You know, I would like to do more. Unfortunately, my work schedule doesn't allow it. But I try to make an impact as much as I possibly can. And in my eyes yeah. and, and the way I feel it, I just don't want her death to be in vain, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, I kind of feel like if she would have known and I was maybe more transparent earlier, yeah. maybe I could have kind of got her in the right direction. I don't know. I mean, that's something I'll never know. But at least I'm transparent now and I'm helping as many people yeah. now. But I mean, it definitely had a profound impact as far as where I'm at today in my recovery, the volunteer work that I do, and just kind of yeah. my whole perception of this whole disease. Yeah, man, I think you just hit like two key points there where there is that part of us that's always going to struggle when we lose somebody we really care about where, what did I miss? What could I have done different? All right, we can kind of get stuck there. And I know like for myself, like that's been a place like I tend to like gravitate towards because it's just that, like, that natural instinct where it's like, now I'm feeling guilty and I'm making this about me. When it, this is some internal battles that we unfortunately, we didn't really know the gravity of just how strong those fights were that were going on and just how much it took out of them each and every day to show up and to live and engage and participate in this world. And I think that's when you look at that strength. I mean, these individuals, I know Kurt, um, Mark, like the people you talk about here, like you, it's just like, you see them fall down. You see them pick themselves back up. And we know just how much it takes out of us when it's like, all right, screwed up there, made that mistake. And now, I'm going to pick myself up, clean myself up a little bit, and I'm going to move forward in a way that I can feel good about moving forward. And that takes a lot of like that work you were talking about, Mark, where this really propelled you to push forward in your recovery efforts here to really connect with other people fighting this battle. And it's, I think that's similar for you too, Kurt, in terms of what got you here to kind of fight this and kind of speak on it. Because I think that's the thing. When we look at these people that are really so corn, we care so much about what have you guys found to be really helpful in just the way that you're continuing to carry that message and carry their memory with you? For me to carry on Cormac's, you know, for Cormac, you know, me me and Phil still talk to him, start, still yeah. talk about him pretty often. You know, and a, and a lot of the music he likes, you know, they still perform live. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, pretty much any time me and Phil will go to a concert together, you know, Cormac's there. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I mean, <clears throat> my cousin, 
you know, she was one of five, so she's got four living siblings. When I see them, we talk about her. They actually have a Facebook page dedicated to her memory, and every now and then there'll be a post of a picture or a family picture or family function, whatever it might be. Um, obviously, she has kids. I don't see her kids that often, mainly on pictures on Facebook and stuff like that. But when I do, I mean, obviously, I, I, you know, I think of her and, and see her. And again, I mean, I'll say it again. I mean, every time that I speak at a hospital, I do think about her, yeah. you know, because uh, my last visit with her was in the hospital, you know, and I feel like I said, if I could just pay it forward and try to help others, you know, um, in, in, in her name, so her death is not in vain, that's just, it just kind of soothes my heart a little bit, you know, dealing with that loss. Yeah. No, that, and that's just so powerful. Just really that, hey, even though they're physically not here, we still carry them in our hearts. And they are really driving and influencing us in the ways that they, they were when they were alive. They just weren't aware of it. They just, didn't, just weren't so fully engrossed in just understanding just the impact they had on other people's lives in such a profound and powerful way. And I think that's where, when we talk about losing somebody so unexpectedly, like that's, I mean, you look at the battles that are going on out there right now with fentanyl and the opioid crisis and the overdose rate. Like, it's, it's just happening much more common and much more frequently than anybody would ever want that to be. Like, and now you have family members finding and having to Narcan their loved one. And so what, what suggestions, what feedback would you give to families who are finding themselves really caught up hanging on, worrying about their loved one overdosing or finding their loved one. I mean, from my perspective, um, one, love them because they love you, okay? Um, You know, I think that disease of addiction does change the individual because of what it's doing to the to the brain, you know, rewiring the brain and the brain chemistry and so forth. But that person that they loved is still there. It's still in them, right? They're just sick right now. That's the way you got to look at it. Um, don't get dejected, you know, because as I said before, um, when there's, if there's a pulse, there's hope. And uh, I mean, I remember, I mean, I remember one time I, I had a really bad night and I came downstairs after I eventually passed out. And I remember my mom was actually scrubbing the kitchen floor and she had tears coming down her face and she kept saying, I just don't want you to die. I just don't want you to die. And yeah. I said, don't worry, mom, I'm not going to die. But deep down inside, honestly, I had no idea how to get the hell out of it. I mean, just, just a desperation yeah. that was on her face. And I'll never forget that, you know, for as long as I live, you know, the pain that I caused them, um, you know, it's, you know, it, obviously I, I can't comprehend that. All I could do moving forward is, you know, live a life of recovery, be the best version of me and, and, and make him proud mm-hmm. by living a life of service, you know, that's what I try to do, you know, but I mean, obviously love, obviously don't get dejected as frustrating as it can be, mm-hmm. um, be supportive. Okay. Um, you know, words, words can be weapons. So you got to choose your words carefully. Yeah. Okay. Um, even though if you get frustrated with the person, 
um, reward effort. I mean, if they're putting in an effort, there's yeah. some hiccups along the way. As long as we're making progress, I think that's a positive. Um, you know, be encouraging. Um, certainly be proactive in, in the individual's recovery. Go to an open meeting, you know, with your son or daughter or, or husband or wife or what have you. My dad, give him credit. You know, my relationship with my father is not the best, but he would go to open meetings with me on Saturday morning and he would hold me accountable. Come on, we're going to the meeting this morning. You know, come on, we're going to get up early and go Saturday morning. You know, just try to be proactive because, I mean, it's, it, it takes it takes an army. I mean, yeah. it really does. It ta- it, I mean, you, you have to have a lot of people in your corner to get propped back up, back on your feet to be able to survive the disease of addiction and live that life of recovery. I mean, you highlight, look at those symptoms that show up, right? You look at the behaviors. It's all the symptoms. And these symptoms, however, are the things that people can take very personal and make it about themselves. Correct. Because it hurts. It really hurts to believe that our loved one is doing this to us when it's, they're caught up in their disease. Their disease is active and running wild and driving these behaviors. And so just like any other disease, right? If I could look at it and say, hey, they're sick right now. Like you said, Mark, how do I treat somebody who I know is afflicted with the disease? I support them. I try to help them get the care and treatment that, that, that's going to help them kind of reclaim their life, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, God forbid somebody passes away from a heart attack or passes away from cancer. And most likely, a lot of those instances, unless it's hereditary, it is lifestyle that, that drives that condition, right? But you, in some instances you do, but for the most part, you don't hear, well, you know, he, he did it to himself or she did it to herself right. or she was a lifetime smoker and all that stuff. And, you know, she got what was coming to her or what have you. But with addiction, <laughs> sometimes that's what you hear. You know, right. and, 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 and I mean, truly, I mean, it's in the same category of disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're not going to talk to somebody or talk openly about somebody mm-hmm. who's got cancer, you know, why would we treat somebody who's dealing with an addiction or a mental health uh, uh, diagnosis differently? You know, I always said, if my cousin was diagnosed with cancer, or if I was diagnosed with cancer, everybody in the family would have found out about it right away. Yeah. And everybody would have called and everybody would check on me mm-hmm. and everybody probably would have dropped off meals and everything else. But because it was addiction driven by an underlying mental health issue, everybody was afraid to talk about it. Right. You know, so. Kurt, I don't know if you have anything to add into that. You know, it's it's tough because I have people reach out to me here and there like friends I went to school with who now have kids who are having problems, you know, and they'll ask me like, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And it's hard because ultimately what it comes down to, which you don't really want to tell them is I'm just going to be blunt here. (laughs) Do you want them to die in your home or do you want them to die outside of your home? You know what I mean? I don't tell my friends that, but what I, what I tell them is, is like, you know, the biggest issue we have is you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. So you can send your kid to treatment all they want, but until they're ready to go, it's almost like you're kind of wasting money. And then, you know, 
it's it's hard like right you know what i mean because it's like we we see it all the time justin where there are some people that want to be here and then there are some people who, who are here who are like my dad says when i get out of treatment he's buying me a car and it's like yeah that's the totally wrong approach you know but but like what mark said like you know being open to listen to them you know mm -hmm. all, as a person in recovery the only thing i can provide is hope mm -hmm. to show like like hey look at me i'm doing okay i have nine years clean you know what mm -hmm. i mean and it wasn't easy for me right. i don't try to walk around like hey i got nine years i got it all figured out like i i i don't i still you know struggle with like anger sometimes you know what i mean it's like i don't have this down that's why they call it practicing recovery just like doctors call it practicing medicine they don't have it figured out and neither do we you know all i can do is just wake up and practice every day if like i'm gonna be a condescending jerk at work and give you the eyes like i do half the time like you know what i mean when people are like what's wrong with you like i'm fine no, we don't got time for that on this episode, Kurt. Yeah. Don't try and make us go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> no, but it, it's it's hard when you talk to families yeah. because it's like you wish you had some magical thing yeah. to say, but really what it comes down to is that they, the person suffering from the disease has to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And you can't make them have that decision because I'm very... I'm very careful when I talk to people because I don't ever want someone to go come back to me and be like, but Kurt, you said yeah. if they went to treatment, they'd be okay. Mm -hmm. I never, ever say that. I'll be like, you can send them to treatment, but they have to be willing to go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm never like, cause <clears throat> I just never want anyone to come back on and say, but you said this would work. Yeah. You know what I mean? All I can really right. say to families and parents is like, you'll have good days and you'll have bad days. You know, all you could do is just pray that they want to get recovery. And, you know, if it leads to you having to love them from a distance and asking them to leave to, so you can have a safe home. You know, my mom, mm -hmm. the best sleep I ever got, Kurt, is when you were in jail. Because I knew you were safe and I knew you got three mm -hmm. meals a day. That was the best sleep I ever got in my life. And I get it because when we're out running the streets, they don't want you there because they don't want you bringing drugs in your home, but they don't want to kick you out because they don't know where you're at. So it's, right. it's like really so many variables when you're trying to like, you know, you want to ease the mind of like family friends, but you know, you also have to be like, there's no easy answer. Yeah. I'd be more than happy to take them to a meeting if they're willing to go. Yeah, you know what I mean. I it, my thoughts are, and I agree completely. Is I mean, just try to get as many resources available to them as they possibly can. Yeah. Um. You know, they might reject every single one of the resources you bring to the table, but at least you know you're doing everything in your heart possible to try mm -hmm. to help that individual. And you know what? All you're asking for is that one aha moment. Because yep. that's what it took for me was that one aha moment, you know, and it was by providing all those resources, I just happened to be in the place where that one gentleman spoke and it provided that hope and inspiration that I needed because really where it starts is with acceptance 
and then hope and inspiration that it can be done. And then hopefully that catapults them to, you know, living that life of recovery or at least on that journey to possibly recovering. Um, but if you just give up and you're not providing those mm-hmm. resources, you're, you're not going to get that aha moment. You're not going to get that potential miracle. You know, yeah. so, and it's tough because, I mean, you know, I mean, it could be very dejecting. I understand that, you know, but at the same time, you know, I just don't think that we can give up on our on our loved ones or our friends or whoever, because like I said, as long as there is a pulse, I'm going to reiterate mm-hmm. that, as long as there's a pulse, there's hope. Yeah, no, and I love that because I believe I align with you so closely where it's like, hey, you don't know if this is going to be the time it takes. If this is going to be that moment that they hear what that message that they need to hear in that moment or connect with that person that shows them, hey, you're actually a human being and I can appreciate you as another person and not feel like you're just dejected by society in that moment. And I think that's where I always like to tell families, hey, at the end of the day, what we have control over is what we do and how we choose to respond. And I want to make sure my side of the street's clean so I can say, I did everything within my power to put them in a position to give them all the possible resources. And so does that make the pain any less? Absolutely not. There is no way to alleviate that pain of losing somebody who's in your family, who you watched grow, develop the ups and downs their battle, their triumphs, their struggles, and to see, hey, that fight that was in them, that gave them an extra two or three years because they could have thrown in that towel a hell of a lot earlier, but that fight was there. And sometimes we lose track of just how strong each and one of each and every one of these individuals are. And so... I think you guys are doing a, did a fantastic job really kind of capturing it today. Really talk about just the pain and just that hurt. I mean, it just hurts when you lose somebody. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's not easy to talk about. It's very painful, you know, but at the same time, I appreciate us having this public forum, okay, and be able to speak openly about it because, you know, it's obviously my hope that, you know, people hear this, okay, Mm -hmm. and maybe they learn from it, okay, and maybe they change their approach with their loved one, okay, Mm -hmm. and and maybe that change in the approach, you know, if they picked up something on this podcast today, leads them to that recovery that we're searching for. So I have no problem yeah. talking about difficult subject matter if it's going to help somebody yeah. for sure. And that's the goal. Cause sometimes like I know for myself and I love what you were saying. Cause I think that even just allows me to even reflect on, Hey, how can I, how do I respond? Right? Like what's my knee jerk yeah. reaction? Because I know I'm naturally like a fix it kind of person where it's like, Oh, this is a problem. I don't want this to be a problem for you anymore. So I'm going to try and tell you what you should do and how to do it yeah. here. And that's not good. That's not empowering. That's not somebody feeling seen and heard. That's just another person saying, oh, you made a mistake, which quickly gets flipped into I'm a mistake. And that just pushes them further down that road away from that possible miracle that could happen. And so, no, I think you're right. I think this, these are things that we have to talk about because 
when we're talking about, especially like Kurt, you brought up like your mom and you being in jail and like, that's the most impressful sleep, but like we could hear that. Right. And like that could, that could cut us to our core. And so that's where for like our loved ones and like who are kind of there carrying on the memory of each of these individuals that they know and that they've loved and that are no longer with us. There's a big key there saying, Hey, how do I make sure I'm taking care of myself today? And that I'm showing up for me. And it doesn't mean that that doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that I don't cry every day or on their birthday, think about them and have bad days and good days because life is never going to be the same without that person, a part of it. And I think that's really this challenge here is, what like like you always say mark what do i need today to have a good mental health day and what do i need to continue in my recovery correct every single day and so thank you kurt for being here today sharing again your wisdom knowledge and really shining a light on this really you know important topic to discuss and talk about because it impacts so many people and we just got to talk about it. And so want to just make everybody aware that in our next podcast, we will be discussing one of the most difficult things in this world that we as people have to have relationships with another person while managing and maintaining our recovery. And so again, Thank you, everybody, for joining us here today in our Healing Minds Story of Resiliency and Recovery podcast. And we look forward to you joining us next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Healing Minds Stories of Resiliency and Recovery. If you're on the journey to find guidance and insights, subscribe now wherever you find your podcasts. Healing Minds Stories of Resiliency and Recovery is an educational resource, not a substitute for medical or therapeutic advice. The opinions expressed by the hosts and their guests are not necessarily those of NAMI DuPage. Go to namidupage.org slash podcast for links to past episodes, show notes, and to submit a question or topic ideas for a future episode. Until next time, be well.